In order to really be in him, you have to give your life to him. That in him, we might become, you see this? That we might become the righteousness of God. This is so amazing. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Holy Father, as we come before you today, You are holy. There is none like you. So Father, we just right now just fall at our feet in humility and contrition. And we simply just proclaim to your Son, our Redeemer, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Father, I pray as we open Your truth, Holy Spirit, would You right now begin to take every distraction that's in our minds right now and just remove it. Lord, we pray against every scheme of the enemy, his lies, his deceptions, his devices, O God. And we just pray that You would dispel every bit of darkness. Fathers, we come before You today. We pray that we begin to feast on the beauty of the Gospel. We pray by Your enabling, O Father, through the Holy Spirit, that You would clothe us right now in Your armor. Clothe us right now in Your armor, O God. And Father, I pray that we would behold Your glory. So Holy Spirit, have Your way with us today. Just take over in the midst of a culture that's off the rails spiritually of chaos and confusion as the enemy continues to deceive. Lord, right now, just have Your way with us. Draw us near to the blood of Jesus. Set us free today. Move in power, we pray. Move in power all over this room. May we sense Your presence like never before. And Father, as we dive deep into the Word... May I, may we, become more conformed to the image of Christ. O oh, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to You and only You, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. Shake our foundations today, O oh God. And may you receive all the glory and all of the praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, looking at verse 18 in our verse-by-verse, word-by-word study of the, the riches of God's Word. And as you're turning there, I was thinking about a thought. It seems like every Sunday God gives me a thought, especially on my drive into the church house. And the thought that I was thinking about this morning was a deep reality that saddens me. It crushes my heart. But the reality is, and you know this, that we live in a culture today where there are people that are just simply okay without Jesus. 
But the lie behind the lie is that you're never okay without Jesus. And yet the enemy, through his deceptions and devices, can so easily convince us we're just okay. Hearing God's Word in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, I, I pray that this one verse, if you have never truly given your life to Christ, if you have never truly been brought to God, I just pray, I pray with a passion and with a fervor as I even stand here before you today, I pray, Holy Spirit, will you and you alone illuminate such truth that for the one here today that has never truly surrendered their life to you, Holy Spirit, I pray, I pray today will be the day of total surrender. And here's what the Word of God says. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also, this is key, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? Here it is. That He, that He might bring us to God. How did He do this? Being put to death in the flesh, but, but made alive in the Spirit. And all God's people said, I love how the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a writer in the Bible, takes over their mind and their heart and their soul, and begins to infuse truth. Because when you look in your Bible, go up just two verses to 16 for a moment, and 17 as I'm reading from the ESV. Piece this all together. This is so beautiful. 16 and 17. Having a good conscience, so there's that good conscience, so that, here's the why, when you are slandered, not if, not if, when, when you stand for Jesus, buckle up, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Verse 18 today, for Christ also suffered. What a glorious thought for you and I today because you are people, you're living, you're alive. I don't have to tell you this, but I'm sure you could give me your account in your life, where you are today in your life, and the heartache and the pain and the disappointments and the struggles, and your life's unraveling, and you just can't figure out why a good God would allow me to go through this. When I've given my life for Him, you know what's so interesting, church, about suffering? is no one is immune. You can't buy your way out of it. You can't move to a certain neighborhood or drive a certain car. Suffering is just part of this life. And Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, connects two dots that are so mission critical for you today and for me today, and it's simply this, that he's reminding the reader that in the midst of the struggles, and I don't know about you, but man, when it gets ratcheted up and the furnace gets hot, the human temptation is to look for exit ramps, isn't it? Like, why do you want to stay in the furnace? 
And yet often God says, I actually want you to stay in the furnace because, John, I need to prune you and refine you. And it's actually going to be a billboard, God says, for my glory that in the midst of your pain, your pain, church, always has purpose. Peter's saying, look, reader then, reader now. He's going, look, here's the deal. When you live for Jesus, you are going to face pushback. There's just no other way around this. It's part of life. Some of you are living this. Some of you today are going to meet on Thursday with a bunch of people who you call your family, but the reality is you've given your life to Jesus. They haven't, and there's a war going on. And you're standing for the truth. You're willing to say, man, I'm in. Like, I'm in for the gospel. Like, I want to make a difference I know this is the most important thing in my life, and it's given my life to Jesus, and I don't want to live a casual life. I don't want to be a mediocre Christian. I want to be all in, and yet I know, I know, I know that it's literally going to cost me everything. That's pretty much what Peter's telling these people, and he's telling us. You say, how do you get that? Well, he, he says these words right here at verse 18. Christ also suffered. I read that this week, and you guys ever have a pity party? Any other pity party people in the room? I have a good pity party occasionally. Woe is me. Anybody been hung on a cross recently? Yeah, that's the question the Holy Spirit just kind of asked me. It really is all relative, isn't it? See, Christ suffered. He suffered unjustly. Don't miss this. Christ suffered unjustly. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in His mouth. Palm Sunday, man, they're chanting, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're going to free us from the Romans. Jesus is like, no, I'm not. One week later, you're a loser. Crucify you. It's amazing how the tide can shift in the midst of just standing for the mission, the truth. And some of you today are going through this. Like you're in the cooker. You're in the, you're in the crock pot. And you're getting toasty. And you're thinking, what do I do? I'll tell you what you do. You you stand tall. You you press on. You you just know that your Redeemer lives. You hang your hat on the gospel. Remember, the gospel doesn't make good people gooder. It brings dead people to life. That's the whole point of the gospel. It brings spiritually dead people to life. I thought it was interesting when you look in your Bible there that it says that for Christ suffered once for sins. Whose sins? Any clue? His sins? No, not at all. Our sins. He he suffered once. So as he suffered, again, Peter was reminding this and he's saying, look, to those Jewish readers, think about context. Context is always king. So to the Jewish person in that day, what did they do under the old covenant? Did they give one sacrifice and that took care of everything? No, you had this continual U-Haul of lambs that you kept bringing to sacrifice. And Peter's saying, you got to remember this, that when you give your life to Christ, that His shed blood, that, that literally the blood of Christ is now placed over the doorpost of your heart for you today that are, are a true believer in Jesus Christ, that you've given your life to Him, the blood is on the doorpost of your heart. And if you will, the Passover enemy literally passes over the doorposts of your heart. And here Christ is in this beautiful illustration. He's dying once. 
He died one death. Don't you love this about Jesus? Like, he didn't go to a cross, was brutally executed, and then it's kind of like, you know, I'm just not sure if that did the job. That when he died and went in that grave, that he was A, dead. His body didn't get stolen. It wasn't a hoax. Jesus Christ died. The Bible says he died. And as he died on that third day, he arose from the grave. Man, if you got one amen in you, that was a time to slip her in. Amen? I mean, he arose from the grave. Like, that should give you hope in the midst of your mess today. Like, in the midst of your struggle, family issues, children issues, whatever it might be, work issues, financial issues, just fill in the blank, in the midst of your struggle, that you're pressing into the Lord, and you know He lives, and you know He's come to set you free through His blood, through His righteousness, just simply knowing this fact that He died, but He didn't stay in the grave. He, on the third day, arose from the grave. That just changes everything. And as you think through that, he died for the righteous, the Bible says. He died for the unrighteous as he was righteous. The just for the unjust. Christ died for sinners like me, like you. And his sinless, look at that Bible right there, just look at that phrase. The righteous for the unrighteous. He died a substitutionary atonement. That he literally said this for you that have come to him, or today you're going to come to him and you're going to say, I no longer want to do this. Man, I'm over here and I'm over there. I can only keep my hand on one or the other, but I can't play both. Uh, Satan rides the fence. For you that today perhaps are going to truly give your life to Christ, maybe for the first time in your life, a true surrender. I'm really in. Here's what's so beautiful Jesus, through substitutionary atonement, here's what he does. He goes, Look, here's the deal. John, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to die the death you should die. And in that whole process, I'm going to take my righteousness, Jesus says, and I'm going to impute it to you, even though you've done nothing to deserve it except sin against me. You know, people have the audacity to go, man, I wish Jesus would do something for me. Absolutely astounding what Christ has done. That's why key number one, write this down. Key number one in your notes. In order to atone for my sin, Christ had to suffer beyond human comprehension. Key number one, write this down. In order to atone for my sin, Christ had to suffer beyond human comprehension. You know, the cross, in my opinion, it was the greatest collision of mercy, grace, and justice at one axis point. There was this collision of mercy, grace, and justice. And through this atoning work, through this regeneration, that what happens through the regenerating work, if you will, is that this is the beautiful point of atonement. Man is here, Sinful man, that's me and you, and here's holy God. And through the atoning work of Jesus, through his blood, through his righteousness, here's what he does. His atonement has fully, for the true believer, has fully acquitted us of all guilt and condemnation when our lives are truly surrendered to him. And through that atoning work, what happens is now he, Jesus, is the bridge that brings reconciliation between me, sinful man, and holy God. He now brings us together. What an amazing work. And I don't know if you caught this, but when you see through Scripture that our debt was paid and when Jesus is on that cross and it was a brutal, excruciating death, 
it was inhumane, it was torture, that when he cries out on that cross of this suffering, gasping for air, mocked and, and whipped and, and scourged and, and blood, and he cries out, he says, Tetelestai! Says it is finished, paid in full. That no matter your sin, my sin, no matter the gravity of it, the blood of Christ is greater than all my sin. And when Jesus Christ, when he came out of that grave on the third day, I believe this with 100% clarity that death, that sin was forever defeated. And King Jesus rules, amen? What a thought that in order for Christ to atone, to bring reconciliation, to appease, to satisfy the wrath of God, to propitiate, if you will, for that to happen, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And it couldn't be just any lamb, but behold, as Spurgeon said, behold the Lamb of God, when he shouted that there in that huge cathedral there where he preached, that he shouts, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the story goes that there's a janitor up on the balcony that under such heavy conviction that he hears the word of God, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the story goes that the janitor far, far away comes under heavy conviction and gives his life to Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. Not to make good people gooder, but to bring spiritually dead people walking in darkness to bring them to life. That's what Jesus does. I was thinking about a verse or two to give you in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, write this down. Hebrews 9, 15 but here's the redemption. Therefore, Hebrews 9, 15, He, Christ, is the mediator. We gave the illustration, right? Sinful man, holy God. There has to be a mediator that atones, that brings the reconciliation together of the new covenant, not the old. Why? So that, so that those who are called may receive what? The promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the what? The transgressions committed under the first covenant. Wow. Christ is our mediator. And when he's our mediator and you give your life to Christ, you're just now not a church attender. Here's what you really are. You're now his ambassador. When you really give your life to Jesus, you're not a church attender. Anyone can be a church attender. Lost people can be church attenders. True people, though, that are truly saved become ambassadors for Christ that they are now His representatives. So everywhere I go, you go. We are no longer representing the me monster and what's in it for me. We represent King Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How can I give you glory today? Who do you want me to touch? How can I... Take the gospel that you've given to me into my life and change my life. I'm no longer this old man, but I'm this new man. No longer this old woman, but this new woman. I've been dressed and clothed in your righteousness. Oh, Jesus, today is a new morning. Where are we going today as you lead and I follow? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. But you think through that, and that just totally pushes against the American dream, doesn't it? Just totally. 
And that Christ says that if you really want to be in me through Paul, that we die daily. How about Romans chapter 5, Romans 5, 18 and 19, it says this, Romans 5, 18 and 19, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification, declared righteous and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Amen? See, it all goes back to the narrow way and the wide path. You're only on one path or the other because you can only straddle both paths for so long, right? Right? In the narrow way, it's hard, it's difficult, there's few on it, but it's life-giving. There's life on the narrow path, but on the wide path, many are going in by it. Many, they're just joyfully going in by it. And there's destruction. I thought it was interesting when I was researching some of these verses here that back there in Psalm 53, it's... Such a powerful psalm, but I was thinking about that it actually pleased the Father to bruise the Son. Just think on that for a moment. It pleased Him. That He loves mankind to such a degree that He's going to, and He did, God offers up His only begotten Son. That He gives His only Son. And I don't know about you, but like I got four kids like, I'm having a good time here today, but just, let's just clear the air real quick here, right? I'm not giving any of them for you. Like, it's not happening. You don't have to think about it, pray about it. I already got that one buttoned up. Aren't you glad that God didn't look at me, look at you and go, man, Jesus, I'm not giving him for you. Do you see what happens when you really begin to see what occurred that it's no longer just this Christmas story and the Easter bunny and Santa Claus, but you really begin to understand the depth that Christ went to save and to redeem you. How could our response just continue to be, whatever? For the person that truly understands this, your response isn't one ever. Your response is to hit the deck and just give praise and glory. And man, you want to live every day, every breath, every moment, just to make a difference. For those around you, that they might see Christ in you, the hope of glory as the word dwells in you richly. And this is exactly what Peter's trying to communicate. Because Paul then goes on in 2 Corinthians, write this down, chapter 5, verses 10 through 21, and he says this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Listen to this church, God making his appeal through us. Therefore we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Did you catch that? Church, how do you become reconciled to God? Any ideas? It's through the atoning work of King Jesus. You give your life to Him, and He brings you to God. He brings me to God. The divide, the chasm. We just sang about the chasm. The chasm that's there, it's a chasm of mass proportions. And, and you and I, we can't just gumption ourselves. We can't you know, dig down and pull our bootstraps up. And you know what? Well, I dug myself out of every other hole in life. I can certainly dig myself out of this one. No, you can't. This is a hole that no human can dig themselves out of, but Jesus can. Just like reaching down to Peter. Remember Peter's sinking? Peter's first one out of the boat, and he's sinking there, and what happens? Jesus reaches down. That's what Christ does. In the midst of your chasm, he reaches down and pulls you out of the miry clay. Well, you begin to understand this, and it sinks deep into your heart, into your mind, and your soul, and your life will never be the same again. It'll no longer be, you know, cosmic Santa Claus Jesus or divine butler Jesus or, you know, vending machine Jesus, but it's like, he really is my savior. 
He's the Lord of my life, and I've given it to him. I finally have peace, what I've been craving all these years. I've been filling those voids and dulling the pain with all this stuff of life. I finally have it because I've given my life to Jesus. And I believe part of that imputing work is just not only that he gives us his righteousness, but he gives us his peace. And who doesn't want peace in our world today? That's what we crave. For our sake, verse 21 there of 2 Corinthians, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, did you catch that? That in him, there's a so that. Remember, anytime you see so that, it means why. So that in him, not apart from him, not just kicking the tires of Jesus and just seeing how things are going, but no, in him. Like in order to be in him, you got to give your life to him. In order to really be in him, you have to give your life to him. That in him, we might become, you see this? That we might become the righteousness of God. This is so amazing. I've been around people that before Christ and then they really give their life to Christ and you literally don't even recognize the person. Not just how they behave, but even their countenance changes, right? They're just a different person. It's what Christ does in us and through us. So here's the last part of this verse as we go down the back side of this. Here it is. Let me read it in totality. Verse 18, 1 Peter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now here it is. Here's the why. Here's the why, church. That He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This is such a game changer. This phrase right here will forever change your life if you allow it to. Here it is. That he might bring us to God. Question, rhetorically, who's doing the bringing? Any ideas? Yeah. How about this question? Are you bringing yourself? See, part of this narcissistic, me monster culture we live in is we even want to be in charge of that, don't we? And it's very clear in God's Word that He is doing the stirring, He is doing the drawing. Matter of fact, here's an illustration. How many people across the room have someone they know, family member, coworker, friend, that you would love to see give their life to Jesus? Anyone besides me? Yeah, I'd say most of us have somebody that you would love to see give their life to Jesus. When you pray, you probably pray something like this, God, will you speak to so-and-so, and will you do a convicting, illuminating work in their life to bring them from darkness to light. Probably not those words, but you're praying to the Father to say, I want you, God, I want you to bring that person through the blood of Jesus to you. Amen? I mean, even if you were to pray, God, God, will you, catch what I just said, will you give them enough gumption to do this on their own? Well, what did you first say, though? God will you. See, God does the bringing. It's hard to explain it all. But I know this, it's biblical, that God does the awakening work. I know that's what He did in my life. I grew up in a pastor's home. I mean, the last thing I ever wanted to be was a pastor, and I'm not kidding. It was like assistant dog catcher, then pastor in that order. No joking. And God, through His power, through the Holy Spirit, did an illuminating work in my life and one day woke me up. I mean, woke me up in church all your life, doing the deal, or, you know, raising the hand, saying the prayer, signing the card, doing the cartwheel, getting dunked. 
lost as a goose, had never gave my life to Jesus, and then one day just illuminates the truth. And it's so beautiful because when you see this right here, this phrase that He might bring us to God, this is so beautiful. It means this to draw near, to lead towards, but it means this also, don't miss this church in the original, it means to carry. Now pause on that thought for a moment. Make yourself the purpose of this illustration. If you're truly saved today, that you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you are in the process of sanctification, here's the reality, that Jesus Christ, when He went to that cross, when He suffered and when He bled and He died, and He died an inhumane death, here's what He did. He not only atoned for your sin, but He literally, church, get this, don't miss this, He literally carried you to God's. I mean, how can that reality not change someone? That He literally carries you to God. Imagine that person that you're praying for, that son, that daughter, that coworker, that friend, that, that mom, that dad, that whoever. Imagine if one day, prayerfully soon, they will wake up and realize that Jesus loves them so much that He's going to carry them just carry them to God. He's dripping in blood. And he's marred beyond recognition. And he's like, I'm going to go fight your battles for you. What will that do in your life? What will that do in my life? It will begin to change everything. That's why our key number two, our last key, says it like this. When I embrace that it is Jesus who brings me to God, this will transform how I view Jesus. Key number two, write it down. When I embrace that it is Jesus, no one else, there's no one else that can bring you to God, who brings me to God, this will transform how I view Jesus. That He willingly did this. I mean, when we really begin to understand this church, we won't putter around. We won't dilly-dally and trifle around. We will become people that are such on mission. Because when you have the cure for the greatest disease, do you keep it to yourself? If you had the cure... For a disease, you had it, and you've been totally healed, and you're watching people all around you die, what would you do? Well, prayerfully, you would share the good news. And that's what Christ has called you and I to do. That for you that are truly saved, that that you have been called, you have been mandated to now be the representative, to be the ambassador, and you just share your good news story. You share your glory stories, we say, don't we? Of going from being dead spiritually to now being alive. How about these verses that I pray will encourage your heart? So here's a verse on Jesus bringing us to God. John 6.44, write this down. John 6.44, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him, brings him. It's that stirring, that wooing, and I will raise him up on the last day, John 6.44. How about here, this is beautiful, for the Jew and for the Gentile who give their life to Jesus, they are one in Christ. There is unity in Christ. Here it is, Ephesians chapter 2, 13 and 14. Listen to this. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. But now in Christ, so in Him, Jesus, you, here it is, here's an illustration of your life. You who were once far off have been brought, church, near. How? By the blood of Jesus. Do you see this? Man, we're far off. We're brought near how by the blood of Jesus. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one 
and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In the Old Testament, they had that wall there, that curtain, if you will, to the Holy of Holies, right? And Jesus, our true high priest, has forever ripped the veil in two. We have a straight shot to the Father. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's broken it down. We were far off. But church, He has now brought us near. Now, For you that have given your life to Christ, Holy Spirit, I pray, will you move? And for those who haven't, Holy Spirit, I pray they would today. Some people say, well, all roads lead to heaven. Well, here's what the Bible says. John 14, 5 and 6. John 14, 5 and 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. For you English teachers, that's a definite article, right? The, the. Jesus made an emphatic, exclusive statement here. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except being brought near by my blood and my righteousness. Acts 4.12 says it like this. There the apostles are doing their thing in Acts and they say this to the Holy Spirit, and there is no salvation in no one else referring to Jesus. For there is no other name referring to Jesus under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That word saved, make a note of this church, we've talked about it before, but it simply means this to be rescued. How many people typically rescue themselves? Do you see how this will change your life? When you get to the point and you get out of the raise the hand and say the prayer and sign the card and do the cartwheel and get dunked that all this external and you get into biblical salvation of a total surrender, a total dying to self, do you see how this will change your world that Christ loved you enough that He could have called 10,000 angels, but instead He goes, you know what? I'm going to stay dialed into the mission. Nothing's going to deter me. I'm being slandered. I'm being mistreated. I'm going to be executed on a cruel Roman cross, but I was born just not to conquer the grave, but I was also born to die. It just will change everything in your life when you understand that He has brought you near. He has literally carried you by His blood to the Father. And just picture that one more time, that there's the Father and Jesus, Jesus just brings you to the Father. He's like, Father, here's another one. And as, as His blood drips on you, and it clothes you in His righteousness. He, he just brings you to the Father. And there's just nothing greater. There's nothing in life. Hear me clearly. There is nothing that you can acquire in life that will bring you what the blood of Jesus will bring you. Nothing. Revelation says it like this on Jesus being dead, but now he lives. Revelation 1, 17 through 19. Here's John on the island of Patmos. Can you imagine being there? And you see this vision. It says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he, Jesus, he, he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and I'm the last and I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades and all God's people said, wow. And then lastly, Romans 8. Romans 8, 38-39. Here's the result, church, of being brought near by the blood of Jesus and truly being rescued by Jesus. Here's what Paul testifies to. In the midst of all of Paul's heartache and pain and, and people that, man, they would mistreat him, they would abandon him. 
Man, he just suffered a difficult, hard life. He says these words in Romans 8, 38-39. For I am sure, I am confident, I will not be moved, is what he's saying, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation... Well, he sums it all up right there, that thought. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord and all God's people said. Wow. So I don't know where you are spiritually. But I know this. Life's a vapor. And it's here today. And it literally is gone tomorrow. And if you're here today and you're just not really sure where you stand, my prayer as I read something to you to conclude would be that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would know without any doubt where you stand, one way or the other. And that my prayer is today that you would give your life to Christ that you just surrender everything to Him and say, man, I'm all in. Count me in. I'm in. I'm going to be in from this day forward. I'm all in for Jesus. Well, here is the dichotomy of Ephesians chapter 2. And as I read this to you, as I went through and I made these opposites, you're going to see the opposites, the dichotomy here. I want you to process on the front end as I read this to close. I want you to process this, church. I want you to be thinking, do I now see, do I now see why Satan is so vicious? Do I now see why Satan has so much to lose? Do I now see why the darkness and the light are colliding? Do I now see, is it illuminated in my mind, why I see so clearly of what Christ did, but what Satan still wants to do. Here it is, Ephesians 2, before Christ. This is before Christ. We were spiritually dead. We once walked according to the prince of the power of this air. We were sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath. We had no hope, zero hope. We were once far off. We had enmity with God. A, a war is going on between us and God. We were strangers to God. We were foreigners toward God. But then for Christ came on the scene and, and He brought us to, to God. He, he is dripping in His blood and He brings us to God. And this is what happens. But God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. We have been raised up. We've been made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? That we might show, that we might demonstrate, that we might obey and resonate and exude the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We now have the gift of God. We are now His workmanship. Again, we were brought near by the blood of Christ to God. He Himself is our peace. Christ has broken down the middle wall of separation. Christ has what? Abolished the enmity between us and God. This that used to go on, for you the true believer, there is no longer a war going on. Why? Because Jesus, He says, I'm going to break the chasm. I'm going to bridge the chasm and bring that person to Christ Jesus. Oh, Christ created the new man and we have now had made peace with God. We were reconciled to God by Christ. Christ put to death the enmity between us and God again. Through Christ, we now have access to the Father. And here it is, the last one from Ephesians 2. We are now fellow citizens and saints because of the blood of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. All from Ephesians 2. Have you today truly, truly been brought near? I know this. I've lived on both sides 
and I'm not going back. And I wonder if you're here today and perhaps you're living on the wrong side. And today is your day to totally give your life to Jesus. Father, we come before you and Lord, I just simply pray this, Holy Spirit, we don't want to and we can't, so we're not going to attempt to manufacture a work of You, Holy Spirit. But Lord, I know through Your power that You can right here in this room bring someone, maybe many, that need to do this today to bring them from darkness to light and from death to life spiritually. So Holy Spirit, all over this room, all over this room, Father, I just pray, Lord, whatever work you need to do, may you do it right now. Don't allow us to disobey. Don't allow us to quench nor grieve the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray there'll be total surrender all over this room today. And so as you speak to my heart and you speak to each heart here right now, give us courage. Give us courage, God. Just to simply do whatever you want us to do right now. And to trust you with the consequences of our obedience. Oh God, to you be the praise. To you be the glory. And we pray this in the only name that matters in the name that's above every name that the name of Jesus every knee will bow every tongue will confess that King Jesus is Lord oh Lord do a work in this place today shake our foundations show us your glory and we pray this all in Jesus name and all God's people said Amen. Amen You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.